Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy. Good morning. Welcome back to another week, uh, another episode of Dubai Works Business Podcast. This week, I have the pleasure of being joined with Elise Hurst, who's MD of Hanson Search in Dubai. She's also a board member of GWPR, an initiative for women in, in working in the communications industry. Hanson Search has been going 17 years and has been, uh, Felice has launched in the region for the past seven years. This morning, we're going to talk about uh, recruitment industry, uh, females uh, it, working in the communications industry, and uh, a lot about uh, remote working, about technology, uh, about some uh, surveys that, that GWPR have done uh, to give us lots of insights about the impact of COVID-19. And uh, yeah, so lots to talk about. Welcome to the show, Felice. Hi, Richard. Thank you very much. Good so to see you. Uh, where are you now? It looks like um, it looks I am a nice in a bedroom trying to hide from my three children <laughs> okay who are all homeschooling at the moment oh so, amazing uh what yes. ages are they they are 9 11 and 16. So oh, wow. youngest being a boy who isn't really very happy about this whole home learning scenario and my oldest was supposed to be sitting her gcse's this year so somewhat is frustrated is are gcse's happening now or no no all cancelled oh wow she must be happy yeah. not to have to do well, it. Well, I think she's quite jammy, but she's not <laughs> quite getting that one just yet. She feels a bit hard done to, and it was you know, looking forward to, well, looking forward being the operative word, but was quite hoping to sit the exams. Yeah. So, yeah, yeah. it's difficult times. It's finding that balance, and I'm a, I'm a most appalling teacher. I'm, I'm, just, I'm appalling. I, I take my hat off to every one of you <laughs> teachers out there. Yeah, it's, oh, it's a different skill, difficult. isn't it? You need a lot of patience. I yeah. don't know if that'd be very good. Um, is the, do you, in the homeschooling, are you required to teach them or are there schools providing the assistance? No, no, the schools. I mean, my younger two are at GEMS JPS and my older one's at English College. And I have to say, the online portals are fantastic. The issue I have is for my youngest, who's nine, who doesn't want to do it. Mm. <laughs> you know, it's the older one, you know, it's, there's interaction. I mean, this is one great thing, I think, that the UAE, in the situation when I went with COVID, Mm. It's, we were already online. We were already technology focused. The schools were already doing a lot of their work through it. So it has enabled it to be a much smoother transition for the children than they do for friends of mine in the UK that have been working more from paper orientated homework. So, you know, they're fine. It's just the motivation to be able to sit at a computer all day and not being able to play their sports and be with their friends. I think it's the mindfulness side of it more than anything. Yeah, interesting. And mine, you know, because it's, you know, trying to focus on, I've got to focus on work and you can't do it when you've got children. Mother, yeah. but can you help? Yeah. And as I said, I'm appalling to <laughs> patience. Not good. But you, yeah. you, you clearly got through it. Uh, you've adapted like everyone. And how is, how are Hanson's search? What have you put in place to kind of make sure things keep going? Well, um, as a business, so we work from our head office is London and we've got a big support with our researchers in Europe, here and there. So we have, um, I mean, obviously business has very much slowed down. A number of roles have gone on hold. We still have quite a few critical roles that we're searching. I've got two retainers at the moment. We're doing quite a lot with the e-commerce space. 
Mm. Um, in the UK, there's a quite a bit with the fintechs as well. So I think in, in any downturn, there's always some industries that will boom and any business critical roles, they're still live. Of course, the issue I've got at the moment, the roles I'm working here are all international searches. So we've had to change that remit because the candidates are, I mean, last week I had two candidates with COVID, one in Nashville, one in Paris. And so we, we can't relocate them. So we've had to stop the international side and focus purely in the region. So at least we're on the same time zone. Um, we're, we're as a business trying to keep engaged with our clients and our candidates. So we're hosting regular webinars. Mm. Um, and so the last, last one a week ago was talking about how do you, how do you interview on web, web, well, webs? I mean, I've got a candidate at the moment for a CMO role who's currently in the middle of an interview, panel interview with three people. Wow. On, on Zoom and it's so difficult you know you can't have that human interaction the personalities the so we did, that was our last webinar and then what we're seeing now is because we specialize in marketing communications is a real rise in the importance of internal communications and it's something that hasn't been so massively um, seen before but in this crisis situation we're in and the crisis comes we're seeing it more and more so we're hosting a webinar in a couple of weeks' time um, that we're going to go global with it. So I've got the managing partner of Brunswick here is coming on board. I've got the um, VP of internal communications for Tetra Pak, who's based in Germany, who we placed. She's going to be on the panel, mm. having a panel discussion about internal communications and the importance of it and how it's really developing. So we're trying our best. I mean, obviously, everybody's at home globally. So in some ways, it's quite good. So we're having regular Thursday drinks as a company and we're, we're, we're doing talent games and we you know we're engaging but it's hard I find it very difficult because you seem to spend so much zoom is so different to face-to-face -face, yeah the interaction side yeah a lot of uh, you know and I, I do explain the kind of the stage that the recruitment industry is at in terms of your business how Hanson search operates um, and the digital world uh, you know is it something that uh, is it something that's that's changing? Um, as you mentioned, uh, people would have people who have interacted with uh, recruitment businesses in the past as candidates or as uh, clients um, know the emphasis on getting to know people. Um, and as you mentioned, you're trying to do that digitally. But how is the rest of the business uh, structured for at this digital phase? To be honest, we haven't really been affected massively. We, our business is all in the cloud anyway. Um, yeah. We're all very much flexible working as a business. We've been using Zoom for the last 12 months anyway, because a lot of our candidates, we can't meet face to, if we can't meet them, we Zoom them. Yeah. So it's not actually that different for us, because yeah. a lot of the time, you know, we are, we are recruiting remote, uh, um, internationally. So as a business, it's not been that much of a shock. Mm. Um, I think, you know, it's not been able to go and sit with your clients. And not, that's, that's the difficult side because, of course, the clients are here. It's the candidates that weren't. Yeah. So that's the bit that, I, that I'm missing. I'm missing. I do miss the interactions of the office. But as a business, technically, we, and digitally, we were already there with it. Interesting. And then, I mean, on another side, we've got, um, Hanson Search, we've got a sister company that we're about to launch over here called The Work Crowd. Yeah. Um, which um, is it's been established for four years and it's an award-winning SARS-based platform for freelancers. So we were in the process of getting some uh, investment. Software as a service. Uh, software as a service, yeah. And it's a super smart algorithm that enables businesses to be able to identify immediately prof it's professional freelancers. 
Um, mm. In the UK, it's purely marketing communications. And then, I mean, 18 months ago here, they launched the freelance visas. So take, jumping on the back of this and the whole gig economy, we're mm. now literally, it's about to be launched here in a few weeks' time to yeah. really help with businesses. And it's another offering to our clients, not just looking at the permanent workforce. How can we enable you to get back and help you to get back to work quickly? And of course, all these people that are now here be made redundant. It will help the workforce to be able to get back. Mm. So, you know, we're trying to come at all different angles. And, you know, the workforce, there was a McKinsey research recently, and they are predicting that by 2027, 50% of the workforce in Europe and the States will be independent freelance. Google already is 50% workforce. It's called the gig economy. I mean, yeah. it's, but it's, it's, we're a bit behind here because of the whole work visa situation. So this is something that will really help and enable businesses and governments. So we're talking to governments, we're talking to free zones to go and enable them to you know, use this platform. And it's more of an end-to-end -end solution. So it means that we can offer both sides to our clients, that international search, that, you know, the, the advisory level when it comes to your permanent recruitment, but then at the same time substituting in with this project-based work. So we're trying. We are trying. Yeah. <laughs> You've got a lot going and on. Innovate the, you know, the, and work with modern technologies for recruitment because it's, it's evolving all the time. It's always yeah. changing. Interesting. There's a couple of points I want to touch on. Talk a little bit more about COVID-19 in terms of what roles are people looking for and approach to businesses. Um, and then to go into the freelance and the gig economy, but also different types of disruption. So just firstly, while, while we were talking about it, um, I've heard things like that uh, companies now are recruiting people remotely. We have a few, from the universities here, we have a few virtual interns that's working quite well. Um, and then other companies are obviously unsure about their um, future outlook uh, on, on earnings and projections and forecasts. And obviously, uh, recruitment budgets are affected. Uh, what are the current trends in Dubai in terms of COVID-19 and recruitment? Uh, are, people, are people putting things on hold or waiting? Um, and what have you seen? It really depends on who the businesses are and how disruptive they are as a business. So quite a number of our roles here in the UAE are in e-commerce which of course is booming. And they are the ones that are okay to, to work remotely. Um, I've got another client, it's a big healthcare services. They are all, and it's, it's the front line of it. So they, it's urgent, critical role. And this person, if they're not here, will be remote as the whole workforce is. So it's quite, it's, um, everything, everything changes every week. Mm. Um, but so the more traditional industries, I've just put everything on hold for now. Yeah. Uh, just while waiting to see, because everyone's, it's, I mean, even if we do go back, I mean, now it's 30% of the workforce maximums are now back in again. And it seems to be from advice that we're getting, it's going to be like that for at least six months. Uh, interesting. So everybody is going to have to get with this program of remote working. Yeah. So be that as freelancers and project based, which is the, which is the easier way of doing it in some ways, rather than doing the work visa and getting them on the employment. That's why I do see that's going to be much more of a growth. Yeah. Um, we don't really do much in the whole construction or hospital. I mean, I've done quite a lot of in tourism in the past, but we're not really affected by this hospitality because it's not really our client base. We tend to do a lot more with the the blue chips. Or these, you know, we do a lot with like the startups and the, as I said, e-commerce and fintech. Mm. They are disruptors of the marketplace, so they're not afraid of this remote working. 
yeah, maybe a lot of them are have different types of run rates and and uh, capital already for now. Um, but critical roles only are the ones that are being hired right now. Um, I mean, some you know, it's they'll, they'll pick, many. I mean, I know we talked to a client the other day who's in strategic communications, one of the agencies, and they, they started off with their advice to clients four weeks ago was crisis comms. And then two weeks ago, it was internal communications. How do we get through? And now the next bit of the communications is the financial aspect. If they have to make redundancies, you know, the investor relations side of it all. So it's a process that's ever evolving. But, you know, the sooner we can get back to work, even if it is at 30% capacity, um, it will help. And I do think here in the UAE, you know, they've done a great job. I feel very confident here that they've handled COVID right you know, yeah. I've got my family in the UK, I've also got candidates all over the States and Europe. We, ha- we are doing it well. And I do think, you know, let's, it, we need to get back to work for the economy to keep yeah. going. That's true. That's interesting. So it sounds like you've dealt with the COVID-19 impact quite well digitally and have a handle on the, the roles that are available. I guess the next phase would be some sort of a slowdown in the economy as it... Yeah. Maybe not a slowdown because it's already slow, but already stopped. <laughs> yes, yeah, it stopped. But I, I think you know the words like recession, etc. But I think um, what I'm getting at is when you previously in your career, I assume that you were working during the the recession in 2008. Yeah. What was your advice to candidates then, and what were the trends that I've seen that potentially uh, there will be? You know, there will be more people in the market. There'll be more people looking for jobs. Um, how do they position themselves well uh, to kind of be attractive in, in, the, in that type of environment? Well, I'm actually in the process of writing an, uh, writing a, an article for LinkedIn about this. Because, I mean, I've actually been, I, I've been in recruitment for 20 years now. So I've been through two recessions. Okay. I remember when I very first started in recruitment, being told by my boss at the time, Many a company will go under in this time, but the the good ones will survive. Many are born in recessions. We're in a very good position because we've been established. We're well known. We're reputable. We've got a very good client base. It's been going for a very long time. Mm. Um, So I think it's it's nowadays in this current market, all about your relationship with your clients and your candidates. When it comes to candidates applying for jobs, you have to bear it. I mean, we always as recruiters bear the brunt of it all. Why do why do um, recruiters? never respond to our messages. I, whenever I post anything, I always say, please only apply if you have relevant experience. If you don't, we won't be responding. If you post a job on LinkedIn, um, likelihood is there'll be 2,000 responses. Yeah. And of the 2,000 responses, probably 1% have got the right skills. Even if we are specific, you must have this, you must have that, Everybody and anybody will apply. Sometimes we'll get the same candidate applying for four or five different jobs, totally different jobs, the same candidate. Don't waste your time. Make sure you read, I mean, assess and look at the websites of the recruitment agencies that are are posting the jobs. What do they specialize in? We specialize in marketing communications. I don't need account, and the amount of times I get accountants sending CVs to me, it's, we don't have, we're not going to respond. Make sure it's relevant. Have your LinkedIn profiles up to date is vital uh, it's really good because that's how lots of clients are using it to find you it's how recruiters will always get be there be relevant um, if you're in the communications industry make sure you're posting write your own articles show your skill base is a really good aspect to go after but don't it's really awful i know people are desperate 
And it's, I mean, it's horrendous when I get CEOs applying for jobs for a director's role of, of marketing. So that was part of my job description. Unfortunately, in this market, only the people with the relevant skills will be getting the roles. You know, you can't change careers now. You need to focus on where your strengths are. I was going to ask, yeah, is that the advice to kind of not think of it as, oh, I'd like to try this and pivot? Like you should, you should recognize you do have a lot of experience if you do. And stick with it, yeah. Now is not the time because if there's a specific job description with a specific role, there are, there are people out there that will fit the bill, you know, that, that unicorn with the multicolored tail, as I call it. So if, you're, if you've only got part of the skill set, you're not, you're, you, it won't go through. Just You need to apply for the roles that fill, fit your CV. Mm. And another thing I always say to candidates, have one generic CV that, find, that talks through your experience, but then fine-tune it for the roles you're applying for. One CV can't be right for everything. Draw out the skills that are relevant to the role. So you do need to take the time to assess, is this role right for me? Am I the right candidate for it? Otherwise, you know, you're going to be sending your CV everywhere and you will not get responses. I mean, as I said, we post something, we might get 2,000 responses for an advert. Yeah, yeah. That's why we don't do it. (laughs) We test it every now and again. No, no, we can't do it. That's why we search. We as a business, we don't advertise jobs. We're not a database. We go find and it comes to our network. Referral and our global, you know, our reach that's been established, you know, as I say, for the 17 years. How do you get, I guess it's a kind of a headhunting process. What are the kind of ways that you go about it, uh, you know, without sharing too much uh, that you can't share, but how would you be, what do you do now to identify talented, skilled people? Well, um, it starts off by really understanding the roles that we're recruiting for and having that conversation with the client first. So it's not just a job description, it's understanding what is really important, what is the focus on this. Um, We're seasoned recruiters. So we interview our candidates. Um, we will take references. Quite often people will be referrals. There'll be a network will come through. Um, our job is to interview. And yeah. we know when people are telling the truth and we know when they're exaggerating and we challenge. And that's why we managed, we identify the right skill sets. And is it, you know, if I say to you that I'm looking for a particular candidate, but my, you know, I might say, okay, the skill set actually is a little bit, tricky because it's new we're doing we're doing say for augustus we're doing modern media and for me really it's more aptitude and uh, intelligence and attitude and things like that in line with our values would you would you tailor your search base uh, and would you have different types of tests and assessment for candidates in that sense yeah, well we, do, we don't we don't really assess we do more the challenging questions as you as a, as a as a as a journalist do open questions and we then focus and channel the next process and we can usually quite quickly identify if they're right or not if it's a skill set that we need or a personality trait i mean obviously with a personality trait it's easier if you can meet face to face but otherwise in these sorts of conversations so it's it's yeah. the same process it's, it's it's not rocket science. It's mm. about engaging with people and listening, I suppose. Okay, interesting. But it, will, it will depend on what, what the job, what the requirements are from the clients and you know, what is more important, the actual experience they've got or the aptitude. We do, our, our roles are at the senior end, not the junior end of the market. So really it does come down to you know, how many years experience you've got. Have you been involved in this sector? What, how deep has it gone? Your leadership level. 
Mm. So it's, it's, it, it, there's always a number of factors that need to be assessed on any of the interviews. Interesting. I really want to talk about the, the, your other solution on gig economy uh, in more detail. But just first, you mentioned LinkedIn and, you know, what are the other things out there that are potentially going to emerge as trends, not disruption, but the evolution, the digital evolution of uh, the recruitment business, both on, the co- both on um, your offering uh, side of things and also the clients and the candidate? What are the kind of trends for the, for the non-freelance uh, and for the, for the people who are working in the companies? Well, it's like, I mean, I was talking to somebody the other day, the economy we're in now, that we, for the first time ever, there are four generations working in the same offices. Okay. So that's the baby boomers, I think the baby boomers, all the way down to the Z generation. So you've got the leaders, they could be in their 60s because they're still working, you know, they're not retiring at 50 as they were. And then we've got these new workforces coming in. That's a massive, massive variance of skills, leadership styles, expectations. And um, I think the future of the workforce that we're seeing is those disruptive businesses, for you to be able to attract the skills. Because what differentiates businesses from others is their employers, is their employees even. It's the workforce. And you want to retain them and hire them. And these are, it's only going to happen. I mean, the Z generations, they're looking for the CSR. They're looking for the reason. They're not just doing, they will not work just for a job. They've gone other days when you join a business and you stay there for 20 years. These guys in two years time might reinvent themselves or something else. So as employers, you need to make sure you're looking at your workforce and identifying who are they, what not what age groups, what, you know, what, where, what are they looking for? And they are looking for training. They're looking for development. They want, they want the appraisals, you know, the, that internal, the, the role of the HR function and talent development is vital. Mm. And even with, with or without the gig economy, that it, those are the companies that will survive. Um, and if you don't move, change the way of your clocking in, clocking out, again, it seems ridiculous saying this now, we're all working from home. But three months ago, it was not the case. And a lot of businesses, you were, you had to be in at nine o'clock and you had to be, you can't leave till five. Even if you finished your work and you're working all night, you have to clock in. Those days are gone. And those are the businesses that you, you won't see in five years time. If you look at the Fortune 500, I think some, there's some massive figure that 50% of the Fortune 500 that were here 10 years ago, no longer exist in it. Mm. Kodaks and your, you know, your big brands that have just disappeared. No longer relevant. So what I'm understanding is that for businesses to survive, it's more it's important to invest on the services that help the recruitment to have the right talent and the, and uh, to not just not just recruitment of us. I mean, you're, as a business, they mm. should really, especially a bigger business, be handling your own recruitment. Mm. You know, internal functions. It's maybe 80 percent of your roles. The business critical ones, the ones that you've got, you know, big teams you need to hire or that search, that's when you go and bring in the executive search. Mm. Um, you know, but you need to make sure that you're identifying the talent that you've got so you don't lose them. Because mm. if, if you don't keep that talent, that superstar, they will go to somebody else. Mm. So that's where these, it really needs to become relevant. That, those talent managers internally in businesses identifying quickly who are the superstars who are the ones who are future leaders again it's a bit like um the figures you know there's a a very good initiative out there called the 30 percent club 
I don't know if you've come across it before, which I've done a bit of work with in the past. And that came up again on the back of another McKinsey search. And they identified that um, businesses that had more than 30% of their workforce in senior leadership as women were more sustainable, had higher profit margins and lower, lower turnover of staff. I mean, even I don't know if you've seen on LinkedIn recently, talk about all the, the governments that are run by women and yeah. how more successful they've been with this COVID. And because of the, the difference, the different bedside manner of a female leader and the aim of the 30% club that was set up at Bloomberg, the CEO of Bloomberg first set up, I think about 10 years ago, was to aim to get to 30% of the Fortune 500 to have 30% of their leaders as women. Okay. And it's, this is driving. So it's, and you know, I, I've helped out with them a few times. I remember going to go sitting with a board of, I shan't say the name, um, of a big international hotel chain saying we're, we're really promoting women. And I was around a board table of 12 men. I was like, yes, I can see. Very successful. <laughs> you know, these are the businesses that will, it's not losing the women at the management. I mean, everybody joins, it's 50-50 at joining level. Once you get to middle management, then a lot of the women leave or they, you know, they can't come back. And it's having this support network. Not that I want this conversation to be about women, because yeah. actually it's about the workforce. And that's, again, why the Global Women in PR, we can flip over to that as well. Yeah. Um, that is not just about women. It's about we, we are a board and we are targeting senior women in communications, be that agencies or client side, and how we can impact the workforce. So we're not hosting events just for women. Because that doesn't—that's not natural. We're, we're having men on the panel. We're bringing men in. We've got male advisors. It just happens to be a committee, a business of women, that's enabling things moving forward. I mean, our, we had decided um, after we said had some research over the hol- over Christmas holidays, which feels like a lifetime ago, um, and we'd, we'd spoken to many of these women in, in senior positions, saying, "What is it you're looking for for a network such as this, initiative such as this?" What will get you to our events? Because there is nothing worse than all women networking groups. I mean, it's all, or if you go to an event, they might give you a rose, but they'll give a man a golf lesson. You know, it's, it's, it, this is not the way that a workforce needs to change. And it was identified at the end of last year that everybody was really striving for flexible working. So we decided that this year's agenda was such. So three weeks before COVID hit us, we had our first event of the year, super successful, talking about flexible working, how do we enable it? And of course, now we're in it, so we're going to have to find another agenda now. Um, But I think businesses who want to stay relevant, who want to keep moving forward, have got to assess women in the workplace and their digitalization. But that and, you know, the flexible working agenda, being able to work from home, but that only comes with trust. And technology yeah so this is where people really need to invest in the technology that you can work remotely and effectively Sounds and also like- even things that I'm seeing a lot of clients say you know they've actually nipped into the office to steal their chairs because it's things like if you're sitting at home on a laptop sitting on your dining chair people are now having problems with their backs so I know a lot of people have nipped gone into the office and taken their chairs to bring them home so it's things like that. It's enabling the workforce to be able to work effectively at home. Interesting. That's how they will stay relevant. Okay, interesting. I think, so actually like now is a good time for companies to look at these things, the kind of people and culture departments. Um, you mentioned the, the comms that they're looking at, but the structure is the trend in terms of what's important to these generations, the different 
uh, requirements based on what uh, how they want to work. Uh, and that's what you're helping companies kind of uh, recruit for and plan their businesses around. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned, so GWPR is a global initiative that you launched in, in, in Dubai and in the region. Um, yeah. how, have you set, how have you gone about setting that up? And uh, I think you touched on some of the kind of, should I say, stereotypes around uh, women in business initiatives and things like that. What are the real challenges and how do you go about tackling them as, a, as an independent group like this? Well, we as a business, Hudson Search as a business has been working closely with Global Women in PR for a number of years. So they actually asked me, can you, can you, can you launch it? So um, obviously I'm a recruiter. I am not in communication. So I have managed to pull together a brilliant board of, yeah. of which I'm on, but I'm, I'm not, I don't think it's right that I chair it because it's, it's, not, it's not my role. My role is more of a, of a connector. So that's where we've gone to. And I think really, I mean, the, the way a lot of these women's networking groups go wrong is they only have them for women. The, that's not, you're not, don't network just with women, you know, and it's making sure that the, there is absolutely no reason why the conversations you're having in these groups are the same. Why are, in, I mean, I've had clients in the past interviewing a candidate of mine, again, we're saying your names, who had four children. And at every stage of the interview, one of the interviewers would ask her, how do you manage with four children? And every time she was interviewed, she would respond with the same question. I have a husband. Would you ask him the same question? We do it together. <laughs> you know, it's, it's these sorts of unconscious bias yeah, yeah, yeah. that come through that, you know, that women will talk yeah. about. So what do you like to cook and how do you manage this? Well, actually, no, there are fathers there who have the same capabilities and working... And it's, it's, it's changing that unconscious bias of gender because gender really shouldn't come into it. I don't believe in quotas. You know, if you just say, yeah. right, okay, I, we have to yeah, have... Yeah, the 30% club is a quota. Well, that is, that's an initiative aiming because it's been proven monetary-wise. But it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you on hiring... I mean, hiring your board, you need to have a woman on there. So, so it's, yes, I'm eating my words now, slightly. But it doesn't... You can't say, we have to have... We'll aim for 30% of our workforce, but it yeah. doesn't mean you're going to hire them in. It means that you need to look at your workforce coming up through the ranks. Yeah. So no, on I, that side. Yeah, I agree. I think it's... Yeah, I think it's you got need, to be skills. You've got to be hired on skill, not yeah. on gender, race, whatever it may be. If you, if you hire for one specific reason, you're going to lose the skill set. I think a lot of those researches are, are really good because they kind of remind people of the skills and that, you know they remove the gender stereotypes um, and they, and sometimes quotas are good to get things to start. You know, to, when things are so imbalanced to get yeah. things to start. But I, I think, I think, you know, it, it's good to hear that, you know, for example, um, you know, a lot of our, our team here are, it's very balanced, but almost by default because we don't, we don't look at gender differently. You know, we, we yeah. hire for skills and we, we're aware of these researches. But just a question in the PR industry. I, I personally worked in marketing communications in, in the UK and Ireland and here for 10, 12 years. And forgive me if I'm wrong, but most of the PR agencies I've come across, and I'm not sure statistics, so we can keep a check, but, uh, you know, it does feel like that there are a lot of female leaders in PR, if not full leaders and owners, definitely on the kind of director side. Um, and it seems to be something that has 
always been good industry to allow women to progress or is it, yeah. is it not yeah i think of, of any of them it has been i mean it, it will depend on the agency themselves but what you tend to see across the board there's not many ceos there's not many gms mds that are women there are ones that have been set up by women it's like one of our board members um is lucy darbo so lucy and her sister set up darbo oh, might be 10 years ago which they then sold to edelman Mm. They, but they set it up themselves. There's a few brilliant businesses here, but they tend to be privately held. Good examples, yeah. Rather than your international um, PR agencies. And it will depend on the sector as well. I mean, if it's, if it's consumer PR, reversed, uh, rather than finance PR. Mm. So again, the, in the finance world has notoriously been more men so it it's only been these z generation students coming through universities i mean i think there was some figure like two percent of graduates in engineering were females a number but that's all now changing so the the younger generations i think you will see there's a lot more of the, the stereotypical sector that they're in but pr as a whole again because i think it's no as if you're in advisory in pr it's those social skills, it's those interpersonal skills that will enable you to be a true advisor to your clients. And, you know, and it's quite often we have our ways as women. We can, we can deal with conflict sometimes more easily than men can because we can, as a female, it's a, a no, I'm being gender specific now when I don't mean, but, you know, it's, but PR is a, really, is a, good, yeah. a good world that's not massively out. But once you get higher up, then the figures are really not very good. I think the the good thing about this sort of when you look at gender like that, um, you know, and research and studies, it, it's fascinating because when you study emotional intelligence, it it does show things that contradict hiring in the past and uh, percentages because uh, it it shows balance. You know, it might show that some are better than other, but it actually shows balance. But it, I think it, it leads back to your point that a kind of an organization that's geared for the modern world that we live in needs to be aware of these studies and aware of these trends. Um, you mentioned you, you work a lot in the fintech and e-commerce space um, and finance. Uh, those industries would typically, especially in Silicon Valley and in VCs, and would be very male orientated. And often we've, we've seen examples of where they, you know, they've been the, at the core of the issues where we've seen a, you know, the Me Too uh, movement and, yeah. and things like that. Yeah. Do you, is that your experience? Have you seen tangible examples of where they might have be going wrong? Um, and do you try and kind of um, uh, assist that process, that change uh, as part of your recruitment approach? Hi. I mean, it's when those kind of roles, it's always exciting to find the females. I think the problem is with your fintech and your e-commerce, it's more of that startup mentality, the risk takers. And you do tend to find that the male mind tends to be more risk takers and the female, the more adverse to it. I mean, that's partly why in, in the workforce, men will, are more likely to put themselves forward for roles that are beyond their experience skill set. Okay. They will all, whereas women as a whole tend to be more, they'll wait until they're ready. So it seems to be, it's again, it's, it's, um, I don't, it's, it's, I think it's changing as time goes on, but those risk takers, you've got to be a risk taker to go to a startup. You've got to be a risk taker, you know, walking away. And it's not one of the big minds of a lot of the females, but it, they are changing. 
What, what else needs to change? I, we, I read something this week about pay uh, in sports. The, the U.S. soccer team, the female soccer team, uh, took a court case out to have the same pay as male counterparts, and they were, they were rejected. It was, it was not um, put through. Do, do you think that we need more regulation around pay? Do you think we need more other things like, um, we, yeah? So many of these agendas are going on globally now. I mean, if we go at the current speed, it's going to take 100 years for women to be paid the same money as men. Um, so, you know, 100 years. I mean, if you look at the BBC in England, I mean, it's it look at every, every business. But it's, it's going to take the next generation to push that one through, I think. Yeah. And um, men, aren't going to, men aren't going to reduce their salaries. And especially now this current climate, they can't, it's going to increase. But I think it's, it's more and more and more being in the press. I mean, it's every sport, isn't it? If you look at Wimbledon, mm. the men's Wimbledon final, they win how many millions? And the women win, yeah. you know, about five. I think they win about 10 and the women are five. I mean, it, it's across everywhere, yeah. not just football. Is it more prominent? The 100 years statistic is interesting. I think in sports, some of the arguments would be to do with business and that eyeballs and marketing money and, and things like that. But in the workplace, there shouldn't be it's that amazing. discrimination. No, no, it shouldn't be. And I do think it's, it's, the problem is at the moment, I think it's more at that senior level where they've been working for 15, 20 years. At the entry level and the, and the kids, the people coming up, it's not the case. Mm. So it's more... It's just more at that more senior end. Do you think that, you know, the media, do you think that there needs to be more role models in this region? We, we know that the outside of business and the government, um, there's a lot of examples of females in, in, in responsible for different ministries and there's a lot of coverage. Uh, I, know, I know that the Dubai media officer represented on GWPR and they have strong kind of um, leadership uh, uh, figures as females as well. But do you think we need more female heroes in the business world in the Middle East? Um, there are some brilliant ones out there. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, again, another fact, some figure someone said to me, there are more females in leadership in the government here than United Nations. Okay, wow. Well. Um, yeah. I mean, there are brilliant women in the finance sector over here, Arab women, Western women. They are there. We just need to see. They are, and some of the stories, some of the Emirati, local Emirati women I've met, and it's just astonishing how, I mean, it puts me to shame. Yeah. They are phenomenal. And I think we have far more of them in here in this region than anywhere else. Because I, we really don't, I mean, people, I think it's, it's such a misconception to the UAE. I think this is a brilliant place to be a woman in leadership. You know, there is no, it, it really is a good place. So I, I, we almost need to broadcast it out to the rest of the world. Look what we're doing here. Yeah. It's, I know that's something at the media office that we're trying to do. I know we're and it's let everybody see, actually, we do it well here. We really do. Yeah. And, and in other countries in the region, there's a sh the percentages are a little bit different than the UAE in terms of female in the workforce. And, there's a few barriers to kind of overcome culturally for that to kind of happen. Um, but what are the other things? Like you mentioned risk. Is there any other things that we could, you know, if you're recruiting for a kind of uh, a director or a C-suite level for a female, how, what is their attitude in terms of um, their future career ambitions? And 
how, how can that be geared towards more leadership roles? Well, I suppose that's, that's something for each individual candidate that we're speaking to at any given time. And, you know, what we, what we as a business try not to do whenever possible is we don't put round pegs in square holes. So right. if we understand our clients, where their future is, where they see this role going in the next five years and what they want to this individual. So we don't look at what the role is now. We do try and work out what's it going to be in the future. And that then in turn enables us to be able to understand if this candidate is right or not. Okay. So what are their key drivers? But they need to match up with the candidate's drivers as well as, as well as the business. It's like if you're going for an interview. You're not. They are not just interviewing you to see if you're right for the job. It's 50-50. You're interviewing them to see if they're the right business for you. Mm. So it's, it's, you know, it's, it's, it's marrying up. It's almost like a, it's um, a, a true relationship, a partnership. Mm. 50-50. Well, so good. what you need and what they want. And it's not just skill set, but it will be the future. And that's when you get the right candidate for the job. Interesting. It's great to hear that there's independent bodies and initiatives in, in Dubai and hopefully on your next meeting you'll come up with a new agenda and you'll Hello. share it with us. <laughs> but going back to the kind of gig economy, uh, Felice, what's your own view on that? Is it, Technology is disrupting it and enabling it. Is, yeah. is it good? Is it bad? Are there pros and cons? Oh, it's brilliant. It's, it's brilliant. Good. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, I mean, it's it's mass. It's going to disrupt the recruitment place. So any of those agencies that are all database that have just been throwing CVs and filling, they're going to struggle. The, the the search firms with those true relationships advisors will be fine. But this is disrupting the workforce. I mean, they're currently. I'd say now in the gig economy, it's worth two point three trillion dollars now. Mm. This is the future. The future, and we're, we're living it now. The fact that we all are working remotely. The future workforce don't want to be having one job. They might work for three people at any given time. They could be climbing a mountain in Timbuktu while writing an editorial piece. Mm. We don't need to be in the office to do our jobs well. I mean, even lawyers. I mean, it's, it's all of, if you're a lawyer and you're working for a law firm for the last 20 years, you're a partner, you're working seven days a week, month in, month out. You know, it's a very high stress level. These are the guys that are coming on to this professional freelance world and, be, and be giving themselves this flexibility. It's disrupting the workforce massively. And like, so this, our platform, um, it's, it's already won awards. The proprietary software, the algorithm, is super smart. So it enables freelancers to go onto the platform, to invoice, to business develop, to communicate, to connect. Um, and then it allows like them to... Is Pardon? it like Upwork or Fiverr or just, is it yeah. that? No. Ours is end-to-end. So yes, it's a similar sort of aspect. This is end-to-end. So the, the, pro, the freelancer will upload all of their profile onto the system. Um, the software has got a very smart algorithm that immediately matches the skills to a project. So if you post your project on the platform, you put in the you know, quite granular details into what you're looking for, it will immediately identify the top eight people that match those skills. Mm. So Upwork and these other projects, you will post your job, your project, and then the freelancers will apply for it. So it's, the, it's that whole conundrum again of the LinkedIn. So if you post a project, you'll then get hundreds of people applying. How do you filter through it? Mm. This is efficient end-to-end solution that, that, is, is, that takes away recruitment mm. and it's speedy. So then you've got eight candidates. If they're not right, you've put the wrong information in. So you try again. If you like all of them, you message them directly through the platform and off you go. Uh, and it's all secure. Yeah, all the candidates are vetted. Um, it's a good, you know, so it's um, it's a very effective. And there's, no, there's nothing else in the marketplace like it that's true end to end. 
We, I must check it out for us. Uh, what's the name of it again? The Work Crowd. The Work Crowd. So it'll be, we'll be, doing, we'll be launching it here in, uh, in the next few weeks. So probably by the time this is published, it might, it might be here. We okay. were hoping to bring it here um, across all industry sectors. Um, as I said, we're going for investment at the moment. We've already got a number of investors in, but we need to do it. This is, this is the time. We really feel we can help people here. We can help businesses to enable them to get back to work flexibly. Yeah. So I, I'm going to ask a personal question on it and, and kind of career and maybe the stage that I was I'm at in terms of how it would work. But just in terms of business model, is that, dis, is that disrupting your own business model fees-wise, commissions, things like that? Or do you no. see them working hand-in-hand? Hand? We see them working hand-in-hand. Hand. Um, you know, our Hunts and Search is not going anywhere. We specialise in marketing communications at the senior level. Mm. This will turn me into um, selling a SARS product. It's not recruitment. We're not recruiting. It's more... So then it's, it's, we do a lot of advice going into clients, talking about the structure of their workforce, how yeah. to enable it. So this means that we can come in at both sides. You know, actually, do you need to go on a search for that role? Can you bring in freelance, trusted freelancers that you will work with regularly rather than having the expense of an added employee? And if you think about here with the issues of work visas, gratuity, sick, insurance... It takes away so much of the aggravation or the, you know, that's here it is the most difficult thing, isn't it? The PRO yeah. aspect of the role. So actually it means that we're there to supporting our clients in all different avenues. Hanson Search is a sister company. It is not going anywhere. It's just another opportunity, another offering to enable our clients and to keep us relevant and supportive of clients and candidates. I mean, it was set up um, in 2016 and Alice, our CEO, She'd actually was, had been talking to mums at the school gates. And they're all saying, you know, I just want to go back and do some freelance work. I don't really, I'm not, I don't want to go and do full time, nine to five, Monday to Friday. Don't really know where to go about this. And I was like, well, we, we need to find a way of doing it. <laughs> Let's see what we can do. And it was, it was in the beginning purely because a lot of PR advertising world, you know, you, you live and breathe it. You know, the amount of times the crisis comes, you're in the office 24 hours, you're sleeping on the floor. Mm. You know, and actually, as you, as you get have families, it makes it very, very difficult. Mm. And so many of these, of these freelancers, you know, you lose the skill set. And this is a way of keeping all those skills. Yeah. So you can have your basic work. And also it helps with things, uh, nationalization, amortization. You can have 100% of your workforce as, as, as nationals now. Mm. And then substitute with these, these vetted, seasoned projects, independent workers. Yeah, it helps with the downturn in economy. It helps through the times of Ramadan, peak times. Yeah, I mean, in I've I've been in recruitment twenty years. Started many moons ago for Michael Page Finance, and in those days, the biggest part of Michael Page was the temp business, and this is just an evolution of temporary work. True, interesting. I, you know, I think um, when we hire some people, when I used to hire before in in. global listed companies in media marketing, we wouldn't be allowed to have freelancers because it's a separate budget, there's red tape, there's things like that. So when we hired for someone and digital skills are changed so fast and that someone can't uh, do all the 10, 20 things that we're going to ask them, it causes tension. And yeah. you know, when we hire people now, if one of my team can't do a, a new API or can't do a different type of a software, I say, don't worry about it. I find someone freelance for five hours yeah. a week 
and there's less pressure on the full FT, the full-time employee, and, and there's more, and it's cost-effective, and, and everyone's happy. So you don't fire someone because they can't do a really yeah. specific skill that doesn't suit them anyway. Um, so I, I, I see it's really important for organizations to adapt it. But just personally mm-hmm. speaking, if I was to, these trends scare me away in a way, the, the gig economy and, and the statistics that you said of how prevalent it's becoming personally, because if, if I'm, say I'm in London 10, 11 years ago, and I'm looking for a job and I'm doing social media, I can't really do it. I can do it freelance. I know some people do it really well on some technical side, but I want to be in an office. I want to be involved in brainstorms. I want to do client service. And now if I, if I say I go back to the workforce, um, a lot of my experience now is uh, leadership, managerial, operational. How, how can I do that as a freelance? Well, that's why it's the individual choice of the individual what you what you want to do. I mean, this is there is now a choice which wasn't there before. Okay. So you, I mean, these a lot of these people. I mean, we're looking at the senior end. We're not talking, you know. I mean, obviously we will do the more junior end as well, but it's your choice, and it means that you know you could be on a project for six months in an office where you're going in to advise strategy, leadership, help them with their with their agency, and then move on somewhere else. So it's your individual decision on how you want to be. Do you want to be one of those core workforce who's in the office Mm. and they're a permanent employee or are you looking for the flexibility? I mean, quite often here now, um, even people in permanent employment are getting NOCs now that you're allowed to work for another employer at the same time. So we've got a few freelancers that we use on the design side um, who are working for agencies and have NOCs to say, yes, you can do freelance work as long as it doesn't affect ours. I mean, I know another one of um, a contact of mine, I mean, when, when they opened up all these freelance visas, she offered to um, her agency, if anybody wants to go freelance, I will pay for your freelance visa, mm. um, but you have to confirm that you'll give to me so many months of the year or so many projects. And of the workforce, I think it might have been over about 20, about five or six took her up on it straight away. Interesting. Of course, this is a woman leader. I should probably mention the name, but I don't know why I won't go. <laughs> just and, um, and, but that's a woman leader who, again, is doing it differently, offered this to the workforce. What do you want? And some of them wanted to stay permanent. Others were like, no, brilliant. Yes, if you pay for my freelance visa, that's about seven, 8,000 dirhams at the moment for a year. And it's worked brilliantly well. And you will see these agencies that are working this way, that, you know, it's tapping into the skills that are needed at a certain time. And there's quite a few of them here that are doing it, but they're the ones that tend to be led by women, quite bizarrely. It's a good idea. I think I'm going to borrow that uh, female-led idea. Yeah. <laughs> it's a really good, good note to finish on, Felice. Pleasure talking to you. I've learned a lot, and I'm sure lots of people will as well. And, you know, best of luck getting through this current uh, unprecedented times, I'll say that catchphrase. Um, and it'd be good to catch up again in the future, especially around uh, the work crowds and see yeah. how it progresses. That would be great. No, it's lovely speaking to you. Thank you very much for your time. Thanks a lot. Take care. Take care. Hey guys, I'm Richard Fitzgerald. This is Dubai Works, where we interview the business leaders making a difference in this great city. That business with scalability was very interesting to me. I like building something that has legacy.